Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We're grateful to be in conversation with Kayla June today. Kayla is the founder of Soma Kine School, a virtual platform for movement teachers and therapists encouraging personal, social, and planetary change through somatic healing and embodied movement science. Kayla is also the developer of Somatic Groundwork, a mindful movement practice that soothes the nervous system, restores tissue integrity, and deepens sensory awareness as a pathway to healing and self-knowing. As a dance artist, registered somatic movement educator, and corrective exercise specialist, she's dedicated her life to helping people move and feel better. Drawing from somatic movement education and weaving research from the fields of biotensegrity, neuroscience, and the healing arts, Kayla is totally vested in the art and science of movement education as a vehicle for shifting the global body. Kayla has dedicated her life to using movement as medicine, and her approach has emerged through a system science, co-creative, somatic way. In today's conversation, we'll talk about Kayla's Somatic Groundwork online courses and intelligent motion training, what is Soma, exploring movement, patterns, the essence of being, cultural embodiment and anti-racism work, and oh so much more. So with that, let's begin our talk. I'm super excited for our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Nikki and Andrew, for inviting me to come on the podcast. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We are so excited to learn more from you about your work with somatic movement, somatic inquiry, and would like to learn a little bit the background of what brought you into this work and how do you see it moving with you in in life and in current events. Mm -hmm. Great. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Andrew and Nikki, for having me here. It's, it's great to be in this virtual space with each of you on a podcast called Touching Into Presence. And you can just feel that, right? Like that lands for me right, right inside my body. And, you know, in terms of answering the second half of your question, Nikki, I would say that that's where somatic um, work or play, <laughs> I'm going to call it play, where somatic play has really led me is to continue deepening into presence and uh, continue this, you know, infinite journey of learning the nature of myself so that I can participate in uh, humanity that really is about liberation for all and brings us you know, brings us together on, on this planet. And in terms of how I got here, I always like to start by saying that I grew up dancing in my mom's studio because she really gave me the gift of movement and the gift of creativity and expression. And it was also a lot of hard work. It was a lot of grit to run a family studio. And 
Um, so that's, that's true as well. So, so, so many hours in the studio, not only in terms of my own personal training, but cleaning the studio and making costumes and organizing rehearsals and managing parents and, you know, on it goes. And the gift that she, you know, provided me through creativity is then really, you know, what sent me off looking for more experiences. And once I, you know, got to college, which was several years after graduation and found myself dancing again, it was now without ballet shoes and it was barefoot and it was on the floor and it was an improvisation and it was a life changer. Wow, so happy to leave point shoes and come into a barefoot dancing body. That's when somatic movement was introduced to me and the big transformation there was, what is my body? And where is this natural body? I realized that I would show up to a studio class and fix myself and get ready to dance. Like, okay, here's my posture and here's how I hold myself. And here's all these things I do in my body to get ready to be in a dance class. And, you know, that slowly changed in terms of, no, I, like, I want... I want to have this experience of a body dancing here in the studio and training hard and relating being the same body that I'm out in the world with. And later on, as I became a parent, the same body that was mothering and carrying kids and talking with kids. And, you know, as my professional life grew, the same body that I showed up in to, uh, you know, do professional work. And that's, I mean, that's really at the heart of somatic inquiry, right? Is, is that place of, um, learning about yourself well enough to understand how you change shape in various environments. And then finally, I guess what I'd like to say is that the questions that I had about movement and injury and embodiment led me on quite a healing journey. So through, um, I guess, meeting my own developmental uh, childhood trauma, that sent me kind of more along the, the lines of um, shamanic work and kind of really opened up the transpersonal door. And I also took this other line into personal training and exercise science. And then that really kind of rounded out this question I had about movement education that's brought me to where I am now with the work that I do and um, honoring the polarity flow, right? between discovery and evidence and process and goals and quality and quantity and the inside and the outside, <laughs> the here and the there, the both and. <laughs> but that somatic aliveness is what allows for the flexibility. Certainly. Will you share a little bit of what you have developed? I'm a fortunate student of yours. But as for our listeners, if they could learn a little bit more of your offerings and the great programs that you have out. So the online platform that I've been building for about three years is called Soma Kinney School. And Soma Kinney School started with a program called Intelligent Motion Training, which is a year-long program for movement teachers and therapists. And it really is an inquiry into what our movement education can look like when we bridge the movement sciences and the movement arts. 
into a sort of tensegrity structure where it can all exist. So that, that work is very fulfilling and um, there are movement teachers and therapists from all over the world in it with various backgrounds. So it's a very dynamic and rich conversation. And the Soma Community School also now has a membership program called the Somatic Groundwork Virtual Classroom. So it's a practice space for somatic work. And, you know, evolving into different kinds of collaborations as we speak and, you know, really hopeful to continue to add teachers and workshops and opportunities for learning about movement as medicine through the Soma Kini School as it evolves uh, into the future. Yes, I have to say you have created a very, very cultural rich community that I've enjoyed being part of the, the Zoom classes or the Zoom chats, part of our, our curriculum. And there's always so moving to hear different perspectives from all over the globe. I mean, it's amazing that we get to get, have the opportunity to get to have a nice weekly download of where we are in our movement practices and what it's meaning for us and how does it show up in our own personal lives and our professional lives. Yeah, the, I think the collaborative aspect of our work is so important for informing not only what we're doing in terms of our services and our offering, but also informing the possibility for the field in, in a bigger way, in terms of the role that movement education or movement as healing can really play in, in our lives and in our communities. Something sort of similar that I've really, I, I've been very blessed in that I've had the opportunity to see a lot of the world, well, see parts of the world. It's a huge world to see a lot of it would take a long time. But I've always been fascinated uh, by movement in parts of the world and seeing traditional dance um, and how, how movement as communication and the sort of overlap of psychological components in societies within, well, not within movement, but the, the, over, the overlapping within them. Um, so I haven't joined the Zoom calls yet, but I'm really excited to hear about that because I think one of the things that helped enrich me as a as a human, forget practitioner, was being indifference, being with people who are not like you, well, are different than you, we're all like, um, and, and seeing similar patterns. But then also seeing like, oh, I've always done this way, yet you're doing it a slightly different way. And what would that be like for me to take that on? Does that fit in my body? Yes, no, whatever. And so just hearing what you have, I, I, I don't know if that's fully what you're doing in some regard, but I, I just think having that, that opportunity, especially through movement as a modality or as a, a medium of communication, it sounds really awesome. Well, especially when we're entering it through the somatic way, which I think is what you're really touching into. You know, I think about the soma being the birthright to each and every one of us. And when we contact our soma, which could also be called our personal consciousness or our inner lived experience, and we become, become friendly or um, aware of the different kind of charges and information that our soma is giving us, we recognize that that experience is very unique to me, right? I mean, 
neither of you would know anything about how I am feeling in this moment if I weren't telling a story about myself. Part of that story comes through my words and part of that story comes through the way I'm moving my body right now as I'm speaking. Um, we also have you know, a whole handful of other ways that we exchange information between one another in terms of resonance, vibration, all of these, this, kind of, this kind of thing. As I have you know, continued to develop this relationship through the somatic way, one thing that has been quite a gift is to recognize that considering this experience is my within, my inside out experience and nobody else really knows about this except for me and it's real for me then that must be true for you too andrew and also for you nikki and i don't know what that is but because i know mine and i've given permission for it to be and i've you know spelunked around <laughs> inside of these various layers of myself and explore that. And I have a greater appreciation and respect for what your experience is. And so it's kind of, you know, similar to what you're talking about, Andrew, in terms of, you know, when we travel and we go into different cultures and we recognize differences, ways that we never even thought of before, because it's like, you don't know what you don't know. But then also the ways in which we are so similar as humans anyway. Think about this kind of somatic landscape also offering us that opportunity of how we can meet one another with a different kind of respect and dignity. Um, because we've given ourselves that as well, you know. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but just reiterating what you're saying a little bit is that we really honor your experience and owning it as yours and being able to sit with it, that also by that ownership then also gives you empathy of what other people's experiences are. Even though two people might be experiencing the same event unfolding in their personal lives one person is going to perceive it one way and the other their own way and being able to really feel into that and take ownership in your own personal experience because in that ownership you're saying this is mine and if you get to have something of your own then so does the other person mm -hmm. and collectively mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to also add to that, Nikki, uh, something we were talking about this morning in the IMT call, the program I was talking about earlier, is also it teaches us to take responsibility for our behaviors and our actions as well. You know, if I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off or does something really silly, right, that like doesn't feel good while I'm driving or requires me to slam on my brakes or whatnot, you know, I could say they made me mad. They didn't make me mad. I made me mad. I make me mad. <laughs> An event occurred, right? And yeah, it's not cool to be cut off. You know, it's dangerous and, you know, things can happen and never feels good to have that while driving. But inevitably, I choose my response to my life every step of the way. I'm responsible to my behavior. I'm responsible to my actions. And so there that feels like, um, I don't know, like a, a, imagine if we were all kind of collectively working in this way, 
where we were allowing and giving permission for other people to have their experiences. And at the same time, we're also learning to take responsibility for our behaviors and our actions, recognizing that inevitably it's our choice how we respond. Like what's that kind of personal development look like in our lives, you know? I mean, first of all, let me just say, I really enjoy what you have to say uh, and how you say it. And I would say sort of, unfortunately, the people listening, we only do listening and they can't see the way you move because it's the way I perceive you to move as you speak is so aligned with how you speak, which a lot of times people are not necessarily uh, be, for various reasons, but that I will guess it's a lot of the embodiment work you've, you've been doing and have done on yourself. That it's, it's a real honor to, to see that uh, and inspirational. And just sort of tagging along how I'm hearing what you're saying too is the process becomes, you know, we sometimes say like unwrapping or, or peeling the onion, but the more that when we get cut off and we say I'm angry, it's like, and, we, and we're responding to it, that's all unaware generally, right? And it's like that. And as we start to become more aware, we're taking those layers off and becoming more in tune with that, we become more aware, but then we're also able to recognize like, oh, that person isn't aware <laughs> and I'm responding out of that, uh, or that, that person may not be aware and I'm responding out of that and recognizing instead like, oh, the, you know, I think of like that, the Buddhist way of sort of doing a meditation of almost cradling them and being like, oh, just having compassion and, and allowing that to, to spin off even, even more. Yeah, I agree. And there's one other side to this too, uh, in, you know, in terms of like adding on to the complexity and, it's that it is appropriate to get angry sometimes. And so this awareness piece that you're talking about brings that up for me in terms of he made me mad, right? Or, she made me mad, whoever cut me off, they made me mad. Instead of like, I'm mad. <laughs> that didn't feel good. I almost had a fender bender. <laughs> I almost got in an accident because of that action. And that makes me mad. I am mad about this event and like having the awareness to be like, Hey, that that's in context, right? Like the response matches what happened. And I chose to have a kind of a fight response in that moment. Now I could also not choose it, but I mean, here's like, we have, we have options. You know, and we see things that are going on in the world where injustices go down and you go, there were other options. <laughs> wow. So I think kind of maybe what you're bringing up too, Andrew, is that, you know, we can react or we can create, you know. Even uh, a training I did years ago, I remember when they said, they said, when you react, like if you break the word down, you are doing the same action again. You are redoing as opposed to being like, okay, I've been here a thousand times before, but this is new and fresh this time. I'm not going to react. I'm going to act. I'm going to, to be. Yeah. Love that. So what can you share with this dialogue of how do we, how do we bring somatic awareness into real time of what's going on in our current cultural climate 
situation of where Black Lives Matter, you know, in the United States kind of feeling a great differences between political parties and then in, in this in this world of so much division. And even with the pandemic, people believing it's a hoax or it's a real virus or, oh, it's just a flu. Like, I think we're in a very interesting and bizarre time in life of so much to feel and so much to to integrate, but also in a in a very confusing state. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious of how, you know, if someone's listening in on this and getting kind of, you know, who might be a little overwhelmed of what's going on in the world. What what are what are things we can offer for new new perspective? Well, it feels relevant, this piece that we're talking about here in terms of reacting or creating, because at the end of the day, what we're really responsible for is ourselves. And it's from our self-actions that then we can participate co-creatively in the world and with others to create changes that we'd like to see in the world. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about the work of Resma Menachem, and he's a somatic trauma therapist and author. And right now I'm in a year long process with his book that Corrine Bell has put together. And it's a year long process of reading the book together and then meeting together once a month. And the groups are organized by body of color. So I'm in a white bodied group. And really our task as a white-bodied group is to create a culture of anti-racism. And what he says in his book about somatic abolitionism, which is this deep work that we're doing within ourselves in terms of recognizing our own charges, our own patterns of behavior, how it is that we are uh, responding into our lives, I, I, and he talks about this through tracking, like really tracking ourselves, tracking sensations. And this is what I've been teaching through somatic work as well is the same kind of, I think, accessible entry point, which is learning to track our sensations, learning to track ourselves. Because it's only through at least that as a beginning inroad, we learn to track ourselves that then we can learn about how it is that our behavior is manifesting the way it is. So if I'm noticing in a week, for example, we'll just keep using the example of the car and I'm being very reactionary over and over again, right? And I'm getting mad left and right and frustrated and irate with driving for whatever reason. And that's happening over and over again. If I'm able to notice that as a pattern, like, wow, I'm really like over responding here to the world around me, right? I must be kind of like at a, at a tipping point of under recovered. Like I'm kind of at, I'm at a stress threshold right now. I'm in defense response. What then the next step would be is to be able to track myself right before I respond right before I have that kind of like fight reaction? Is there a way in which I can slow down before I act? And that's a learning cycle that we call sensing, perceiving, and acting. Am I able to tap into the sensations that are underlying or kind of initiating this behavior? What does that charge feel like? 
For me, it's like my gut gets tight, I've got constriction around my heart, my jaw's usually a little bit tight, my shoulders are usually a little bit high. You know, like I just have an excessive tenseness throughout the, all of my fascial matrix. To me, that's a sign like, I'm on my edge. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I think this, this tracking sensation is a pretty interesting, you know, personal education. Now, to be able to intercept the ball, so to speak, to be able to actually track your sensations before that becomes behavior, the only reason that that's available to me is because I've been spending time in somatic practice with repetition in my life daily, multiple times a day, for many months and many years, right? To be able to actually learn how I am and, um, find kind of that sensory wilderness within me so then I can bring that as a transferable skill set into my life and I call that you know the the contacting of your presence of being coming back to your podcast touching into presence that is so fun so what you were just sharing about you know really tapping into sensation before producing a behavior it's interesting because I've been doing that with my three-year-old who I, and just, again, maybe it's from years of work of being in the somatic world, body work world, but my, my three-year-old was kind of delaying speech. And now he speaks fine, but he has very big emotions to kind of small things. But like, and he's not like temper tantrum, but he can cry at the drop of a hat. And it could be, you know, he could actually properly hurt himself or his brothers just slightly annoyed him. But big, big emotions for all those different ranges. And, you know, as a parent now for now, we're like two years into this or probably one and a half. It's it's kind of like enough. <laughs> like, let's find another way. And I I've said to him, I was like, when you're starting to feel like you need to, to cry, because it's not like a whimper cry, it's a scream full on loud cry. And I was like, let's, what are your feelings right before that? And can you use words? And really trying to find a way to, to kind of modulate this big expression where I don't want to take it away. Because as a parent, I'm very aware that I don't want to just like, as much as like, I'll admit sometimes I'm kind of like, just be quiet. <laughs> but I'm catching my reaction and want to honor, like if he's going to have a big emotion, like let's go for it. Let's feel that in, but like for everything. And so it's making me think like, I'm laying this down just because I, as a parent, I, especially with being with him all the time, like, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that all the time, but what if like, gosh, what if like we got this handbook as parents and we're able to teach children this so early in life, what better adults they, we could have become of mm -hmm. really owning into a sense of feeling and sensation and being able to play with sensation and then get to pick appropriate behavior yeah. response i mean we're talking about self-regulation right yeah kind of tools and teachings and self-regulation to be able to track our defense responses 
and to then you know notice if it's inappropriate or if it's appropriate and that's what you're teaching your son which is beautiful i love i love hearing that and as adults why is this so important well because there's really dire circumstances that occur when we don't check ourselves or when we're not checked which we see as extreme violence and brutality towards others i mean th that's where that kind of dysregulation goes and I, I absolutely agree with you. The somatic education that is a possible, um, that we haven't really embedded within our, you know, our curriculum for young people. Oh, yeah, let's do that, right? Let's, let's do that. So Nikki, you have the young kids now. So here you go, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I think is so fun being in your program, like how I know you and I offline have talked about this, differently, but I, I feel very appreciative to be in this deep dive of somatic inquiry and awareness and, and your, your, um, your training is so rich with such wonderful information that I was able to flip my mindset pretty quickly when we realized that we're going to be in quarantine for quite a while children are most likely not going to be in-person learning and and what is my role in in educating them right now and yes of course i want to make sure they're staying on point with their grammar reading and things like that but i also recognize that this is a very unique opportunity for me to to teach them how to be good humans and really get to influence them my way often you know and it, and i think schools are great with you know educating and having that peer learning experience and things like that but often due to what whoever's teaching or whatever censorship has been put in place at whatever learning institution kids miss out on some real truth of of life and it's, I mean, I think we're seeing that a little bit as a disservice as, as we're seeing in Black Lives Matter. You know, we weren't taught certain things about our history and that shaped us and maybe is creating the behaviors that are reactionary or where, you know, it's difficult for, you know, each sides to really understand where each other's coming from. And yeah, gosh, what if like, even with this, despairing conflict conflicting information that could be out there if we had the the skill sets earlier in our lives to recognize wow i i grew up with a story and this is really true for me but if i have my own personal truth story then you must have one too and let's not judge let's kind of see where the where where we're aligned and where we can learn from each other You know, one thing I, I noticed with you, Kayla, is you have beautiful languaging skills. You articulate very, very well. And also going into that aspect of that somaticizing and having a, okay, this is how I'm feeling and, and expressing it through words. But I also feel like there's, a, there's sort of another side uh, of it, which is the nonverbal. And, and I don't know if there's something you could speak with that. Like, you know, I had a a similar sort of experience of, of, of noticing my patterns and 
being in an argument with someone and, or it wasn't quite an argument, but getting there. And I just said, I stopped to them and I was like, we have to stop talking right now. I'm not upset with you, but I'm, I'm overloaded and I can feel I'm going to get upset with you quickly, but I, I can't explain why I can't put a word to that feeling. Even anger itself isn't a word because that's only a part of that sensation coming up of which that the nonverbal feeling is. And it's something that I'm, I've become more familiar with on a conceptual level or maybe not conceptual on a uh, experiential level, but uh, maybe on conceptual, I don't like, I, I can't quite put it to words. And I feel like it does relate a lot to everything you're saying in your practice. Can you share something about that? It seems like what you're talking about here is the interoceptive feedback that you're getting, for example, in that relationship moment, you're, you're staying. I mean, I really think about embodiment being, able to track my experience while I'm also in relationship with you, right? To not lose what's happening here in my body when I'm with you or to be so much here that I'm not really with you. So that embodiment is kind of, it's both, it's the reciprocation, right? And so it sounds like in this experience, you were tracking yourself as well and you felt your interoceptive qualities inside change right? Sensory feedback started shifting. And that is nonverbal. This, I mean, this is, the language of our soma is nonverbal to begin with. And it can be quite a challenge to bring language in to describe our felt sense. What's really interesting about interoception is that this is raw sensory data coming from our interoceptors that are largely embedded within our fascial matrix and also our viscera from our gut to our heart, um, you know, all of our internal organs. And this data then is sent up to the brain and integrates in a part of the brain that also crosstalks with a lot of other brain centers and that's the insular cortex. And it's in that process that we have perception manifest based on all of the raw sensory data, including interoception or a felt sense. And I think that it's okay to not necessarily have words or language to describe what's happening within us. What feels most important in terms of the opportunity to create change or to open possibilities for new choices is to know that something has shifted there's been a charge, there's been an energetic, suddenly I'm like, I don't know what it is, is that anxious? I'm not sure, but I feel it in my belly. I don't know, my heart is fluttering, I don't understand what that is, but I didn't feel that way a minute ago before I walked into this room, and now I do. And to pay attention to it, to be like, you know, that, that's information that can help me in this moment. What do we do with the information? Well, there's the world of possibilities then open to us in terms, of, in terms of that. What I do find though, with those of us that are interested in teaching somatic movement and guiding process, which is generally who I work with in the Soma Kani School, is that with practice and with creating feedback loops for ourselves in practice, so whether keeping a journal while we're in experiential learning or really listening to other people's language and seeing how that lands for us and kind of almost building in words that can kind of match our felt experience 
and or learning about how to talk about what I call different channels of awareness. What are different ways we might describe the, um, the, the sensations of our breathing or our gut or our fascial tissues or the weight of us moving into the floor? I mean, how, how can we start to create kind of craft in a way language for it over time? Well, they're only pointers anyway. You know, it's, it's essentially learning a language or a vocabulary so that I'm able to guide somebody else to tap into their own nonverbal felt experience and then figure out what that's, how that's meaningful to them. Again, like my language might not work for you, but can I use, a, can I use something? Can I bring a pointer in to help you find your own way in? Like the somatic way to me is many ways in, many ways in. And Again, having the notice, being able to experience a shift and a change of the charge. I mean, that, that's it. That's where it all begins, right? Because then you can do something with it. So well said. So well said. And really, the languaging that you were just speaking about just illuminates the, the, the point and the beauty of diversity of having so many different ways to to access the soma and one way doesn't necessarily one 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 person's going to experience a way that feels awesome but that might not necessarily be the other person's way yeah and uh and having a lot of tools to be able to to find that that entry point right and it seems like it's important here to mention too that Tracking sensation isn't always safe for people. And there's reasons why there are blocks in terms of feeling into our experience. So I think in terms of being a guide myself, that's very important to recognize and to start with first grounding resources. These are sensory channels that also help us land really in our body land really here in the present moment and to kind of support our nervous system in terms of that parasympathetic response and also registering that I am, I'm in a, I'm in a safe place. I'm okay here. And those, those to me are the primary sensory channels because they then help hold the somatic container and then can support ever deepening experiences in as a person is ready to uh, to go there. So I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little worried about sounding like a fanboy, uh, you know. But I just started this week taking your uh, the subscription based program you, you mentioned earlier, and I I enjoy how sometimes the universe just drops things kind of right where they need to be. In that it's it's been really lovely. I've only done four of the, the classes so far, but it's been really lovely because it's hard for me to fully explain. But it's a lot of what I've been doing, sort of, and it's just been like a little extra information and to, to be like helping me to be like, oh, okay, I've been doing this, and I I couldn't figure out fully why, and and it's it's such a really nice class because you explain it from very numerous angles what you're doing from a physical what, what's going on on a somatic but also never saying this is what you have to do 
It's really, it's always a welcome, an, an invitation, which I, I love a lot. It's, it's, it's just interesting, like I said, I can't really put words to it, but it's, it's been really helpful for me for what I've sort of been getting going along with and that grounding work as a place to, to move out of because of, yeah, because of that sense of how we are on the ground in our different relation to gravity. You know, as Rolfers, Nikki and I work a lot with gravity and I bring a, a lot of that into my work when I work with people on the table of how, how do they move on the table in that different relation and just figuring things out. And so many, like so many of the exercises that we've done so far, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, if it was like a, if it was like a course and the end was a hundred percent, I was like 33% of the way or 45% of the way, but like always getting stuck at that point. And this was just like a opening a gate to be like, Oh, there's, there's the, the other way you can go. So I'm, I'm really grateful. I really, for anyone listening will highly recommend the program um, with the caveat that, yeah, I'm only like a weekend. And sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, you got those things you like, you have the first bite of your dinner and you're like five-star restaurant. And then the rest of it, you're like, uh, I don't, but I, 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 I'm sure that the rest of the course is still five-star. <laughs> <laughs> for being in the program for quite some time, I will say it's five-star. I will vouch for that 100%. And that's what it, yeah. I mean, it's what attracted me to your to your program listening to you on the um somatic summit with the ship network i and i was you know listening in the periphery but like hearing your what you were sharing and i can't remember exactly who you were talking to but i again it was it was a somo somatic attraction of like this is where i want to continue my studies because you're speaking my language in a lot of ways, but yet I could feel that there is like, yes, this is very familiar, but I was like, there's so much more I can learn from you. And like I said, I think your program is wonderful and so accessible to, to different types of learners and where people are in their, their journey and because it's online and a little bit of do your own pace it's it's a very accessible program and and very well done and again great community to learn from thank you nikki and andrew both for that feedback and it feels really good to hear because an evolution that i've challenged myself with especially with the soma kinesis school and coming into doing everything virtually where I was working live before that in all ways in terms of classes and clients and workshops and then bringing everything into the virtual space was a question of how to, how to keep deepening the interrelationship of the work because we're talking about movement here and it's such a, um, it's all about relationship, right? So one of the, the tasks that I put out as a big challenge for myself was how do I help support the development and growth of people that are attracted into this work while also providing the spaciousness for each person to really find their authenticity and their personal expression within the work as well. Like how to, how to create a container that allows for the structure, like you were saying, Andrew, to be like, oh, actually that's helpful. I already know this, but that gives me just 
a little bit further to go or a little bit more clarity about maybe a why or a rationale or a new perspective that then opens up connecting other aspects that are meaningful to you. Because here's one way I'm thinking about Soma right now is that yes, Soma is, so Soma exists within the presence. It exists within the presence of now. Not yesterday or tomorrow, it exists right here and now. And it is absolutely informed by everything that has been in my becoming up to this point as well. That's that personal consciousness piece. And it is the presence of it manifesting and unfolding in this moment, in this experience, right? And the experience is always now. What's also just, um, just completely uh, exciting to me about Soma is how it also drops us into the bigger field of being in which all of the Somas are, or how we connect to the greater field of the Soma between us right now, the cultural soma and shaping of our of our um, communities and of our society, the soma of the river, the sun, the beingness. It's like it's underneath. It's inside of the weaving of this fabric of soma. And so it is a personal inquiry on one hand that then kind of creates a pathway of connection into our our greater our greater beingness. I have many people that come to somatic groundwork and go, I know this, this is so familiar. And I think it's that place. You know, it's like the exploration is coming from that place, from fundamental movement patterns, from primary sensory channels of awareness, from proprioceptive inputs that we all experience. Um, bringing in reflexes that have been given to us as kind of biological blueprints from the beginning. Um, I mean, there's a way in which we are so unique and there's a way in which my living form is so similar to your living form. Well, we were talking about that earlier. We all have gray hair. In trying to pick that apart a little more, it's really lovely because it's so simply said in some way, but so like you can start to unpack it really well and fill the whole room with just that tiny bit of information. Okay, so how I'm hearing it is a little bit of the Soma related to consciousness. Soma to, to me before sort of has a, it's almost like listening to that as a, a felt a felt sense consciousness. So there's almost like, it's not full consciousness, uh, full our consciousness, because we're still witnessing it. It's something kind of in between form. I, I could be getting too heady out there, and so we don't have to sort of go there. I'm just that's how I'm sort of listening and pulling it apart. Yeah, I love the. I mean, I love the exploration into the mystery of of what this is. There's a way in which I think presence for, for me when I'm really within the presence, I only know it because I come out of it and I go, oh, where was I? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's... Um, 
There's this just incredible essence of being that I can weave in and out of and experience it because when I'm out of it, I know that I was there. Soma seems to be a very uh, potent way to enter that uh, essential space. Yeah, actually watching you speak about it help and again i feel bad for people listening sorry guys and girls and other um because the way when you sort of close and moved uh it's one of my strong one of my weak uh one of my hardest areas in this field is when i work with people is how to how to explain what doesn't have words that feeling doesn't have words um and you're beautiful at doing it. You do a really great job. Um, I it's where I'm. It's where I probably need to take your class to and, and uh, your course to improve it and that. But yeah, I guess I sort of struggled with it. But when I saw you move, the movement didn't have a word, but it registered within my cortex to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Next. That's why I love using movement as a vehicle for creating body-mind change. And at some point in my life, I decided, okay, I know that I want to work with, um, I want to work with people helping them, you know, move and feel better in their life in one way or another. And there's a lot of different ways in which we can do that, as the two of you know, because you each have different ways in which you also work with um, body-minds. And through my own experiences, it became clear to me that it's like, oh, I'm interested in working through our body because the expression of our movement is our behavior that is multifactorial event, combining all the layers of ourself within our movement is the uh, structural, psychological, physiological, social, environmental, ancestral, whatever, whatever rings you want to put into the, into the hoop, right? That is all a, a part of this movement that expresses as me. And what's so beautiful about working with our bodies is that we can then work right with this, our structure, right? With our living architecture. And that can influence changes in all of those other rings. It's such a, um, just like a wonderful, accessible, pleasurable, for the most part, way in when we do it in a titrated, um, supportive way. Well, and the way you explained interoception, I think is really helps explain the purpose and the, the, the whole need of mindfulness i mean i think in a way when you're kind of feeling into all those different sensations it's the kind of this umbrella of mindfulness but then what are you doing with those little bits and pieces of that that nonverbal cue that you're getting within your body and how to digest it in a way or metabolize it what is what is what is necessary for your energy and what do you need to let it be metabolize to get out mm -hmm. and this is so fascinating because I'm like this seems like such a deep and there is a lot of science around it and 
And that's what I get great enjoyment of reading through your stuff that you put together. But then I, I'm like reminded of a children's book of like a book that talks about if, how's your bucket feeling? And there's this little, this grandpa tells a story to this young kid of throughout your day, your bucket is going to feel, it's going to change. And your when your bucket's really full is because things happen throughout your day that made you feel good. And it could be someone did a kind act to you or you did a kind act to somebody else. Or your bucket's going to still feel a little empty because some jerk cut you off at the playground. And in this whole place of knowing where your emotional state is and how important that is to to be in touch with that because it it although it might be a great place to thrive and be all the time we're not always going to be in this blissful mindfully checked on point soma we're going to react and but how how big is that reaction is like being in control that your reaction is hasn't gotten so explosive that it's destructive or kind of what you're saying in titrating that that feeling like it's important to kind of talk into a traumatic experience but do in a way that there's greater understanding not that you're going to send yourself back into this traumatic experience Mm -hmm. yeah well, we talked about interoception because of that being kind of what's feeding our brain information about our inner states. Really, our soma and ourselves, our form overall, you know, we're, we're responding to our environment in a, in a sort of co-creative dance all the time as well. So that information coming from, you know, exteroception, what we're hearing, smelling, feeling, neuroception, how our nervous system is registering our environment really in kind of an under the hood way. And then proprioception, which I kind of think about as the negotiating of how to take care of our body shape and timing and direction in relationship to the environment. All all of that. I mean, what I think is really interesting is how we are in this constant um, evolutionary process with the environment, right? We evolve together with the environment in a co-creative process. And our, our soma is also the presence of that as well. Because our inner lived experience is always in relationship to how we are in relationship to, in relationship to systems nested in systems nested in systems <laughs> complexity is right <laughs> but only our somas hold complexity our minds like to do the flashlight thing and our somas hold the polarity flow here i think i was sharing this with you last week on, on our call that quote i heard from from russell delman in the retreat i did with him where he said like the body's learn slower than mind. Um, the brain can get information and it's picking all this sort of stuff up, protect this, go everything like that. But the, that interoception is, it's a little slower. It takes time to get up and to, to be sort of that processed area going on. And I would imagine that sometimes the, for some of us, the brain's like, don't have time. We need, you know, too slow. We need to go do this. Um, especially if 
are more so probably if we were stuck with PTSD or other sort of stuff where it's like feeling no good, shut down, no, no time for that. Just go, 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 you know, into the cortex, fire, fire. And the actual importance of that interoception in that processing. Yeah. Yeah, really, this is the importance of embodied active rest. And when we invite somatic practice into our lives, that's essentially, it's like one of these, the essential ingredients that we're inviting into our lives is embodied active rest. Not the kind of rest that we might do at the end of the day where, you know, we binge watch our favorite Netflix show. That's something else, you know, that, that's fine. This embodied active rest is really taking our mind into a curious witnessing place in a way of our body being. And being with that. And there's, you know, different ways, different ways to do that. But that's definitely a seed of, of the somatic way. I like how you said curious witnessing. Yeah. Not really jumping to a story right away, kind of sitting with it. Yeah, absolutely, Nikki. That's one of the, you know, it kind of brings us back to the beginning of our, our conversations we were getting into talking about the somatic way is a skill set that we want to cultivate is being able to intercept the ball or slow down, put a pause between sensation and cognition. And that's that tracking of sensation. And this is the kind of, again, the entry point of the work that allows us to start to deconstruct the holding patterns that are our survival mechanisms and sometimes defense strategies of our behaviors. And to say, is that really what I want? I have this little bit right here in front of me that I just want to say right here because it, it, it seems important. And this comes from an organization called Generative Somatics in an article, basically kind of, you know, makes a statement from a social justice perspective, and we're talking about somatics, that we inadvertently embody societal norms we don't believe in, and we don't embody the values we do believe in. That's cultural conditioning. I think that's really, gosh, that's just a really precious insight for me in terms of um, dismantling my own whiteness and working as an, you know, an anti-racist actively. I mean, that's, that's part of it to go, okay, where did I indirectly shape myself based on the cultural conditioning? How do I become aware of that and go, is that what I want to do? Does that match my beliefs? Am I in integrity with that? And if not, then how do I embody what it is that I do believe in? Yeah. Normally our guests, we're not so much like, again, being like, oh, Kayla, yes, thank you. Howdy, howdy. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it, it's just where I am today. My girlfriend is from a different culture. We interact with different cultural glasses on. And part of what I'm always trying to do with myself is, and partly with her, is to be like, 
you know, is this my American view? Is this my cultural upbringing? And sort of similar, like I was saying, of being other other countries before, by by seeing more, by learning more, we can say, oh, that's that's really interesting. I I always thought this was all there could be because that's all there was. And then there's another way to say, oh, that you know, I don't I don't have to to do this. You know, when you hear people say, oh, don't don't act like X, don't act like a boy. Stop acting like a boy. Stop acting like a girl. What does that? What does that mean? And does that? That's that's a loaded sort of thing. But it's also completely loaded. And I'm in Boston. You're in uh, wherever you are. Um, I forget. Nikki's in Colorado. My girlfriend's in China. That actual thing has a complete different meaning behind it. Um, all based on on the culture. And then it's also loaded, okay, well, I'm a boy. I need to act this way because my location, my culture, my belief system is that. And when that doesn't align with your true um, self, you know, um, I love hearing stories of I was a, a, a woman. I, I knew from, not me, but people saying this story, like I knew I was a woman, but I was in a man's body. I, I, I love those stories, not when they've been persecuted, but I love that. Like I, I can't fully grasp that because I'm not that, but I, I love that learning who you are and, and taking those, okay, well, I was told I had to be that, but that never felt right. And so I'm able to, hopefully those people are able to grow into themselves beyond those, those words, those, those cultures, those, whatever it, uh, it, it fascinates me endlessly. So. Yeah, the question comes up is how how do we create a culture where each person is invited to be themselves and it's really okay? When I ask that question, I immediately recognize how there's process that I need to continue doing in my own self to really be okay. And so I don't think there's a perfect here either, right? So I think about um, something that I've been considering lately, which is way of process, way of giving permission for allowance, letting things become messy, not knowing where it's gonna go, living in the question and trusting emergent healing, trusting that the, the individual parts and pieces are, are, are they're, going to, they're going to come together and they're gonna organize in a new way and have unique properties because of it. And I don't know how it gets there. Are you familiar, with, have you ever heard of the Wu Wei? It's a, uh, I believe it's a Taoist principle. It might be, I think it's Taoist, it might be Confucian, Wu Wei. Are you familiar with it? A, a little bit. I'm not yeah. sure if it relates to um, the Tao, the, the, the text, or... Um, the uh, oh, yeah, the, it would be a Tao from a, oh, a principle from... I don't know if the text is probably pretext, but more or less, it's the, it loosely translates into doing undoing or not like effortless doing, uh, the non-doing doing, which is, I, I hear what you're saying, as that sort of way of being perfect is by being in process, 
which is not perfection itself. And so it's an imperfect perfection. It's this, it is an, a relatively non-dual thing that is not, um, it's not this and not that, but both at the same time while also being neither. Um, and it's when, in my experience, when, I mean, it could be related to flow state somewhat, when we step out of doing and come into non, to effortless doing, which is not not doing, <laughs> which gets confused. It's people, because if we get stuck in dualistic mind, it's, well, you're either doing it or you're not doing. You can't be in between, but there is this state of, I'm in the process, but I'm not driving the horse, nor am I sitting back and sleeping. I'm with the horse driving. Yeah. 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 And I think it's worth noting that in all this inquiry and kind of goes back to what you're sharing with um, the studies that you're doing. Um, sorry, you were just quoting a publica publication that I forgot. But you gave the example of, you know, touching into your own, like, whiteness and what that might mean. And, and, I, and I think we all, culturally, we all have that kind of something that was brought into our lives that maybe not necessarily felt us, but we took it on. And to want to make a shift around that, there, there is that, what you kind of, you said the messiness, the, the uncomfortableness, and there's in that messiness and, oh, this is uncomfortable. I think it's worth noting that because of that unease, it could be very easy to be like, I'm not going to do that. My life's okay. It's, it's not really getting any interference. It would probably make me a better person if I took time to examine this, but I'm not going to do it because it's not comfortable. Yeah. And I think that kind of brings back the importance of we're not in this alone, that, the, the, that having community and having support and when we can really lean into other like-minded groups or even maybe not like-minded, but a compassionate worth kind of sitting with you and kind of politely pressing buttons to kind of take a, take a self-examination is is a value and i think a lot of times you know people humanitarian race miss really amazing learning opportunities within their self because we don't have community and i think kind of coming back to again what you're talking about what you're trying to create in your curriculum of of bringing this online and the, the maybe a potential risk of not having that how how well is this going to land without having the actual in-person, in-room experience? And I'm finding in myself that the Zoom life that we've kind of turned into, of course, I don't want this to be forever, but it, it has, in a weird way, in times of quarantine, has maintained community. Mm -hmm. And being able to take these take human interaction and, and relationship in, in, in a different way. And it really is having to rely on language and a little bit of seeing what else is kind of going on and, and nonverbal communication, especially, you know, you know, 
Andrew and I never met in person and we're co-hosts and we, and we pretty much have only seen each other from our heart area to our crown and whatever background we have. And so I, it's just this whole conversation around interpersonal relationships and Soma and it can be so rich in so many different ways and it's just worth taking time to look at it. And, and again, what I applaud about your program is I, I think it's been a very nice balance of information, great downloads, community, and enough separation. And that's what I think is nice about it being online is you get to really, you have it, you get to really be in your own process. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have lack for a better word, the noise of other people processing. You're not hearing what they're doing or what their movement is or looking like, oh, that, that's something I want to do. Like you really can like turn the screen off. You can hear the words, hear like in your instance, your guidance, turn everything off and get to really being your own experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think it's, worth noting again that the the importance of community and support when we're taking these soma journeys because it can be it can it it can be curious and super fun and it also can be very icky scary dark i'm not going there Mm -hmm. yeah so in in sort of honoring the theme the unintentional theme or maybe intentional of, of our talk, there's always more we want to get to. I mean, there's always more we, we want to hear. But listening to my interoception, I'm, I'm at a point where I am close to overload. There's been a lot that I've been picking up and trying to respect myself, the both of you and our listeners. It's at a point where I feel like either we, I'd like to come to a place of closure for today with a, with a pause of talking more, or you gals are welcome to talk all you want, but I won't be there for it, which is fine. But to throw that out there and see where, where does that land for, for the both of you? I, I feel, yeah, that we've covered a really wide, um, wide territory and we've discussed a handful of different maps with which to navigate the territory. We brought in ideas that can feel very complex. And there's a way in which I'd love to end with a closure in terms of kind of bringing it back to the simple. Like they're just like the, 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 the real essence of what this is to be in relationship with, with our Soma. And so that's, you know, to say that in our, wherever you are right now, if you're sitting or maybe you're taking a walk, you know, um, listeners, I know that the three of us are sitting, uh, you might be doing chores in your house. You could be in your own movement practice, could be in the car. finding a moment to sense yourself right now, seated, standing, contact with the ground, 
feeling of the earth, your breath moving in and your breath moving out, your eyes seeing color, shape, texture, or your eyes closed and coming to that quiet within, meeting the spaces of you. Way of Soma. And so an invitation of beginning here several times a day with this simple observation of yourself being. And I can feel the pause. You know, I can feel that with the three of us right now, I can feel it in the field of my room. There's a volumizing of my inner spaces. And now everything that we've shared together, I feel like has the opportunity to digest in its own time over the next handful of hours because it has been very rich. I thank you both. Thank you very much for taking time to speak with us and share your work, which is remarkable. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Kayla at kaylajune.com. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on your favorite podcast players. And please share us with people who may be of interest. We're doing this for all of you out there, and we hope we're making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.